So our key passage this morning as we look at true worship is going to be John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. And this is a uh, discussion that Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman at the well. And he's confronted her about her having uh, living with a guy and has lived with five guys and has no uh, husband. And she perceives that he is a prophet. And then she goes on and she changes the subject a little bit, but it's a very important subject. So let's start reading in verse 19. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So as we look at worship, we want to uh, ask some questions and see what the Bible says about them. For example, is it important that a person worship God? Is it important how or by what method a person worships God? Is it important when a person worships God? Is it important where a person worships God? And just exactly what is worship? What does true worship look like? What does, is involved with it? So we want to see if the Bible answers these questions. And as we look at this, we're going to be looking at, first of all, what is unacceptable worship to God. Not all worship is acceptable to God. After we look at that, we're going to look at what is acceptable worship, and then what is the object of our worship, and then how do we express our worship today. And then finally, we're going to look at the results of worship. I've added one outline that you don't have on your uh, bulletin. One point on that. So when we start talking about worship, we need to realize, we need to acknowledge that it is a very important theme. Worship existed, I believe, prior to God creating the heavens and the earth. It exists today. And it's going to be in existence in the future when God establishes the eternal state. So it's a theme that runs through the Bible, and it is important. Um, In the prayer that Nehemiah makes in chapter 9, he starts bringing out how there has always been worship and that there's been worship prior to creation. He says, you alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. And of course, the root word for worship is to bow down. So there we see in creation that the heavenly host bows down. And also, uh, this is brought out in Job chapter 38, after uh, God asked Job a series of rhetorical questions that are kind of getting Job to think right about who God is and, uh, and how God acts. He asked Job, where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So there we see the morning stars singing together, sons of God shouting for joy. Worship going on through, uh, during creation. And, of course, worship is still present today. Uh, Isaiah experienced it in chapter 6 when he was given a a vision of heaven. He says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, 
with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, an angelic being of some kind, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then in the future, when the earth, the new heavens and the new earth are created, we're going to see that worship is a central part of heaven and our activities. In Revelation, in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation, we're given a preview, a picture into heaven. And in there we see uh, living these living creatures and angels and a group called elders worshiping the Lord. And with the uh, literal interpretation of Revelation, it's best to see these elders as the church, as saints in heaven worshiping. So in Revelation 4 it says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. And again in uh, Revelation 5, it says, The four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders, that's the church, fell down and worshipped. At the end of Revelation in chapter 22, when uh, the Revelation is being summarized by the angel to John, he wants to fall down and worship the angel. And the angel makes it very clear. He says, no, no, you don't fall down uh, and worship me. He, he makes it very clear. He ends the, his statement to John. He says, worship God. And then in Isaiah 66, we see again a culmination of, of worship in the future. For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make, will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. And all mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. So we need to realize that worship, true worship is a very important theme of the Bible and it's important for everyone's lives. We need to realize that each individual life on the earth, their destiny is determined on how they worship or by their worship. True worshipers who know how God wants to worship them and whether their object of the worship and what they should be doing enter heaven. False worshipers or those who do not worship will be entering hell. So worship is very important. So let's first of all look at some unacceptable ways of worship. When we say unacceptable, they're unacceptable to God. Uh, and not all forms of worship are acceptable to God. And so we're going to see what the Bible teaches about these. Uh, the first category is a big one, and it's under the category of false gods. Um, but there's more than one type of false god. So... Um, the first three commandments given in Exodus 20 tell us not to worship false gods, not to make images. I'm going to be reading from Exodus 34 that has, uh, covers the subject. But rather, okay, so the uh, Israelites are entering the land of Canaan, the promised land. And as they enter, they're given direction by God to um, really tear down all their false worship and things like that. That's the context here. But rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut the, their ashram. For you shall not worship any other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Otherwise you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods. 
and someone might invite you to eat of this sacrifice, and you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods, and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. You shall make for yourself no molten gods. So it's obvious if any kind of a false god is worshipped, that is unacceptable to God. Also in Isaiah 48, God says, For my own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned or made common? And my glory I will not give to another. God's a jealous God. Other forms or types of false God, and you'll see this a lot in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, are handmade gods that people take a piece of wood or uh, uh, carve it or they'll take a rock and sculpt it or they'll just set up any kind of object and they'll worship it as God. They'll make it their household gods. And as you read the Old Testament, you'll see that that happens a lot, that even uh, some of the believers had household gods, these false gods. That's not acceptable worship. Another form of false god is the worship of creation instead of the creator. That kind of falls into the idea, I think, mostly of humanism, that man is worshiping man. Man looks at, at the fate of the world to be in our hands, and we're worshiping men in a lot of different ways. I even think some of the um, emphasis on uh, exercise and bodybuilding, I'm not saying that stuff's wrong, but it, the emphasis, a lot of people are doing that in the hope of living forever. You know, Ted Williams had his head cut off when he died and, and cryogenically frozen, hoping that he'll be brought back to life one day when the, when the robots rule. Uh, anyway, humanism, worship of man is a type of a false god. Another type of false god is the worship of money. The Bible tells us the love of money is a root of all evil. It's not money in itself, because you can be rich or you can be poor and still worship money. In Colossians chapter 3, uh, it, it mentions greed. And I think greed is linked to this worship of money, that you, you become a tightwad, uh, non-generous, ungenerous. And in Colossians 3, that greed is equated with idolatry. Some people, other false gods, they worship power. People like to be in positions of power and tell others how they can live their lives or should live their lives. Materialism is another form of false, uh, of a false god. He with the most, to what was it? He who dies with the most toys wins. You've seen that bumper, bumper sticker. Uh, people want things, keeping up with the Joneses, Joneses. They live for things and for buying things. And of course, uh, another false god is sex. In the Old Testament, you'll, we already read one pas uh, passage where it said to destroy the ashram. Well, that's a fertility god that people are worshiping. And uh, the worship of sex took all kinds of forms in the Old Testament. Uh, they had the temples that had uh, both male and female prostitutes, and that was all a part of the worship of that false god. I think Diana and a few others like that. I think that's still prevalent today, is that we see... Uh, sex just elevated uh, and worshipped in the United States through advertising and, and other things like that. And then the uh, last false god I want to talk about is the heavenly gods or astrology. Uh, as a believer, we should have absolutely nothing to do with astrology, horoscopes, and it, anything along those lines. And I'm going to read a, a summary from Deuteronomy chapter 4 that uh, again talks about um, worshiping of false gods and of the uh, worship of the sun, moon, and stars. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So watch carefully 
since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, so that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water below the earth, and beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them, those, who, those which the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. And I, I think of like Egypt, ancient Egypt, and their worship the sun gods and things like that. And I think the Mayans and uh, several other old um, civilizations worshiped the uh, stars and today people are I really hooked on astrology and I think follow that so false gods are obviously I think unacceptable worship but another way of means of unacceptable worship is worshiping the true God in the wrong way uh, John 4 says we must worship in spirit and in truth. So when we worship God, we need to be worshiping him according to how he tells us to worship and worship that is acceptable to him. And there are a lot of examples of people, I'll say attempting to worship the true God, but failing because they're doing it in an unacceptable or wrong way. For example, in Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. And uh, they, when he and Joshua come down, they, it sounds like there's a party going on. Um, and there is, because the people pressed Aaron to make a god for them to worship. So he collected gold, threw it in the fire, and he says, out came a molten calf. Miracle of miracles, huh? And the people were worshiping it. But when you read Exodus 32, you'll find Aaron says that they're going to worship the Lord through this. Well, that it was not acceptable. In, um, well, uh, later after that, Aaron has two sons uh, called Nadab and Abihu. And they're priests. And they were uh, kind of worthless fellows in many ways. And they go to lead the congregation in worship. And their leading of the congregation in worship is according to their own methods. And they're, they're doing things that God did not uh, prescribe. And they also had a problem, I believe they were drunk at the time. So uh, Leviticus 10 says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans. And after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord which God, the Lord had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Worshiping the true God in the wrong manner. Saul is another great example of a person worshiping the true God in the wrong manner and suffering uh, uh, negative consequences as a result of that. In 1 Samuel 13, he's at a place called Gilgal, and they're getting ready to fight the Philippians. And Samuel tells him to wait there until Samuel shows up because Samuel's then going to uh, make an offering to the Lord and like bless their war against the Philistines. Well, Samuel comes a little late. And so uh, Saul takes matters into his own hands. Um, and Saul says, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling that mishmash, therefore I said, now the Philistines are come down against me at Gilgal and I've not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. 
And Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over the people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So they were seeing that this worship gets down to obedience and keeping commands. Later on in 1 Samuel 15, Saul has another problem. He, um, he was commanded after they have this battle to kill all the people and kill all the cattle and animals and everything. Well, Saul in his uh, thinking says, I'm going to keep some of these uh, animals and we can have a giant sacrifice to the Lord. But Samuel shows up and he says, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So we see there non-obedience is really a, a form of false worship here. Some other unacceptable worship of the Lord, uh, of people worshiping the true God in the wrong way, was with the Pharisees, the Pharisees, scribes, high priests at the time of Christ. In Matthew 15, Jesus is talking to them, and here's what he says to them. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but with their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me teaching his doctrines, the precepts of men. So then we're starting to see the problem here with this, this unacceptable worship. You notice he, they're honoring him with their lips. It's kind of surface externals. Their heart is far away from him. They, in vain do they worship God because they're teaching doctrines that come from men instead of doctrines that come from the word. Another way of of unacceptable worship here is having the wrong attitude. We're to worship in spirit and in truth. And a lot of times we get caught up with the externals and we think that doing a ritual or a rite is worship. Well, it can be when it's accompanied with the right attitude. But it's, it's, I think today a lot of people put stock into just the observance of some rite or some ritual, and they think that that is true worship. In the Old Testament, there are lots of examples of the Israelites worshiping God in the manner that God said, but with the wrong attitude. And so God, listen to what God says about their worship from Amos chapter 5. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your failings. Fat, uh, skin, not your failings, your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing stream. So their rituals, which were following what the Old Testament taught, meant nothing when it wasn't accompanied with the right attitude. And again in Isaiah chapter 1, this is God again speaking. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. And I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. 
Yes, even though you, you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Sometimes I wonder how the Lord looks on us as we take communion, the Lord's Supper, and our worshiping. And I sometimes wonder if our heart and our attitude is not right and that, in effect, God would be saying the same thing to us. So today there are a lot of groups that worship the true God incorrectly or claim to worship the true God when in fact they do not worship the true God. And we have to watch out for these groups. For example, the Mormons. They do not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And don't kid yourself to think that they are Christian. Jehovah's Witnesses do not accept the Jesus of the Bible. There are groups that are Jesus-only churches, and they reject the Father, saying that Jesus is only God, and he appears in different modes. Uh, in the second century AD, there were groups that did the opposite of that. They rejected Jesus and said that there was only the Father. Groups such as the Hindus, Shintos, Muslims, Masons, your liberal Christian the, uh, denominations that deny the authority of the scripture and deny the deity of Jesus Christ and deny the resurrection, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are groups that are not performing acceptable worship. You, the emerging church, new age, I guess we could go on and on. But let's look a little bit at what is acceptable worship. First of all, the meaning of worship. The root meaning is to bow down. And that brings out the idea then you're paying honor to a superior being. You're given homage. It includes giving praise. It includes showing respect. It includes giving glory to that superior being. It includes adoration. And of course, the superior being in this case is God. In the Old Testament, I found six different words that are used 118 times to, to talk about worship or worshiping. In the New Testament, I found nine different Greek words uh, that are used uh, 63 times. And so worship, again, I, I mentioned earlier, it's an important theme of the Bible. Well, it, it's used a lot. We also need to recognize as a part of our acceptable worship that it, it is it is not an option for us. And when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, he quotes Deuteronomy 13, uh, Deuteronomy 6.13 to Satan when Satan offers the earth to uh, Jesus if Jesus will worship Satan. And so Jesus says to him in Matthew 4.10, then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So uh, to worship the Lord should not be an option. It is commanded of us. We also need to recognize part, as a part of our acceptable worship that in John 4.23, it says, um, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Interesting there, that God is seeking true worshipers. Now, when we witness to people, when we evangelize, do we even think along those lines that what we are doing is producing true worshipers of God, people who will worship God now and forever, and that that is who God is seeking? That is a part of our witnessing. And when you see that it is the Father who is seeking these people to be his worshipers, we can now see, I think, the basis for what true worship is founded upon, and that is salvation. That any worship of God that is not based or comes from a saved person is falling short. That that person needs to recognize that Jesus is God, that Jesus came to the earth and lived, uh, was born without any sin, lived a sinful life, a sin, sinless life, 
that he died on the cross for all our sins, that our sins past, present, and future were nailed on the cross with Christ, and that we turn and rely upon the work of Jesus to bring us salvation. And when that happens, we now have the, the base to worship God and for that worship to be acceptable. So the next point I have under acceptable worship is that True worship is linked to our service, our service towards God and our service towards one another. Uh, listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice that, that dedication, that consecration of your body to God is part of your spiritual service of worship so that God will use you for his purpose. And again in Hebrews 12, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So there it's talking about an offering of an acceptable service to God, and it's tempered by reverence and awe. And the idea of our service to God with reverence, that's because we see God's value. We see his worth. And so we serve him. The idea of fear there is, or uh, awe, is that we see God's discipline, and we see his judgment. And also as a result of that, worship and serve him. Now, a lot of times, I'm emphasizing that our worship is service here. A lot of times we look at worship as just Sunday morning. That the preaching, the teaching, the singing, the prayer, and the fellowship here is worship. And that that covers you for the week. I, I going to, you, you think Wednesday, oh, we'll go to worship on Sunday. And we tend to think that that covers it all. What I'm going to suggest to you here is that the preaching, teaching, singing, and prayers that we do Sunday morning in and of themselves aren't worship. But what they are are enhancements to true worship. They're an encouragement to us. As we worship throughout the week on a daily basis, then we get encouraged, we kind of get uh, uh, rekindled, and we uh, have fellowship and all, and it, it just, it does, it's important because it adds and helps us to worship, but the real important worship is during the week. I mean, you come here, you're here for, if you come to Sunday school, and if you don't come to Sunday school, why don't you? Why well, anyway, that's plug um you're here for if you come there for two and a half hours and it may be three depending on who's preaching um and how's that compare those three hours compared to the rest of the week see worship is not just coming and doing church and the rituals associated with that see true worship is really manifested in our obedience and in sharing and service. For example, our obedience. In John 14, 21, Jesus says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So there we see obedience is a part of worship. Another part of worship is sharing. Um, for example, Hebrews 13. Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For such sacrifices, God is pleased. And of course, sharing can be of your time. Sharing can be of your monies. Uh, sharing is a part of this corporate service. We have the people who lead us in singing. That's part of their worship through their service and their sharing. But all of us, 
should be in some area of service, some area of sharing. Another aspect of um, this uh, true worship manifested in obedience and service is godliness. Godliness or holiness is the idea that we are living our lives in a godly manner according to what God wants us to do and are obedient to it. For 2 Corinthians 7, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So this whole idea of holiness and worshiping him, that's not just for Sunday morning. This is for our daily, constant life. Praise and thanks are a part of this. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And perhaps all these things could be summarized with the idea of loving one another and loving God. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. Don't get me wrong that I'm saying coming to church and worshiping here is not important because there is a balance between individual worship and corporate worship. Uh, if either one of them is missing in our lives, our worship will be lacking, will be incomplete, and they're quite possibly unsatisfactory. And if you are coming to church... And if you find church boring or uninteresting or something, well, they're always in the Seahawks game, there's no other football game, there's nothing else going on, why don't we go to church uh, type of idea, it's most likely a commentary on your own heart and your own worship of the Lord, your daily worship. If you need to get, what should I say, a, a fire lit under you just to come to church and then you feel this is your your Duty to God, I came for my two hours and I worshiped. You're missing something. You're missing your daily worship. Let's look a little bit then on the object of worship. John 4, 23 and 24 again. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Worshiping God the Father is spirit in truth as Father. So the first part of there, is that when we talk about God as Father and Spirit, we get down to his essential nature. He cannot be reduced to an image or confined to a space. He's the Spirit. He's spirit. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by numbers. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. John 1.18 tells us, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is the bosom of the Father has explained him. And of course, the only begotten God is Jesus. So if we are going to be worshiping the true God in, in spirit and in truth, we are now seeing that link between the Father and Jesus. First Timothy 1.17, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And remember, God just manifested his glory to the Israelites in the, through the tabernacle and through the temple. His glory was there, but that was not all of God's being. Uh, when Solomon's building the temple, he says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Now the second part, God is father. This is an, an essential relationship. Now, we call God Father, but the primary meaning behind God being Father here, here is, I think, it's talking about him being the Father of Jesus. 
You know, Jesus called God Father every time he talked to him, except when he was on the cross and he quoted Psalm 22 and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So we see this relationship, this essential relationship of Jesus and the Father, and that's how Jesus sees it. So we are worshiping the Father and Jesus as equals. And any worship that does not see them as equals is unacceptable. It's inadequate. John 5. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own Father making himself equal with God. And in John 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And then in John 14, after Jesus has told the disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through him, Philip says, well, uh, show us the Father. And Jesus says to him, have I been so long with you and yet you do not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? And in John, uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus spoke these things. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that you may that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So any worship, then, of God that denies Jesus is wrong. Any worship of Jesus that denies the Father is false worship. We also need to recognize that we're really able as born-again people to worship the Father really only through the Holy Spirit. Yet, you will not find a command in the Bible that tells us to worship the Holy Spirit. It seems his purpose is to elevate the Father through Jesus. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we see there that the, the uh, Holy Spirit is a sense, a catalyst to our worship. Well, then how do we worship today? First of all, as far as the place of worship goes, there's nothing magic about this building. There's nothing magic about a cathedral. Don't think that when you enter that uh, that. Uh, threshold that suddenly you're walking on holy ground or anything like that. The place of worship really isn't important because it's the Holy Spirit who indwells the individual believer and is the temple of God. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And then as a corporate body, as the church, it says in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So the place of worship is where we gather, where the believers are. The nature of worship in spirit and in truth. I think the Samaritans kind of had the right spirit, but they didn't have the truth. The Pharisees, they had the truth, but didn't have the spirit because they took the commands of God and expanded on them and made them precepts of men. Meditation is an important part, I think, of the true worship of God. Psalms. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Now, meditate on the, this is not becoming a monk and living up on some mountaintop. This is a part of your daily life. We are to worship today in truth, 
Didn't Pilate ask the question, what is truth? Yeah, he did. Jesus says to the Father in his priestly prayer of, of uh, John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So our worship is going to be based on what the Bible teaches. Romans 1.25 gives the opposite. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Here's talking about non-believers exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And I think we see that perhaps most in the world today in the teaching of evolution. Teaching of evolution removes God and says everything is by happenstance, everything is by chance. And of course they hold to that because if they don't, their only other serious uh, method of talking about how the earth got here is creation. And since they are rejecting God, since they are exchanging the truth of God for a lie, they don't have any other choice. So we need to really be careful about how we look at evolution and creation. So in truth, in God's word, well, part of God's word is listening to it and hearing it. For example, in 1 Timothy 4, it says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. So church, the corporate body is important. This is the public reading of, of scripture. This is where we exhort and encourage each other. And we teach so that we can go out and continue our worship in our daily lives until we meet again. I think true worship is greatly enhanced by the filling of the spirit. Maybe it isn't even possible unless we are filled with the spirit. I think we tend to have to have an undivided heart to where we are true to God. We're not putting God on one pedestal and uh, sports or money or power or something else on another pedestal. And even a repentant spirit, I think, is important on our true worship in that as we read the word and hear the truth of the word, there are times where we have to change our attitude, where we have to change our behavior. And I think ultimately worshiping in spirit and in truth is not dependent upon experience or emotions. I'm not saying there isn't an experience and I'm not saying that there aren't any emotions, but we better not be relying on those. They're too uh, changeable. So what's the result of true worship? One, God is glorified. Listen to Psalm 50, verse 23. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. And of course, this is God speaking. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. God is glorified as we worship him. Another result of true worship is that saints, believers, are purified or become holy or live a, a godly life. This is Psalm 24. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Another result of true worship is that we as a church, the body, are built up or we are edified. Another result of true worship is that people are saved. The lost are evangelized. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the Corinthian church has a lot of problems with tongues and other sign gifts and, and showy people and all. And um, Paul is correcting them as to the importance of these things. But one of the things that Paul emphasizes is the importance of prophesy, prophecy, which is the pro, proclam, proclamation of God's worth. It's not telling the future. And listen to the result of people hearing the proclamation of God's word. This is from 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. 
as the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. I believe the most effective witnessing that goes on is not one-on-one -on -one or not one to a group, but the group, the church, to one, where they see how a church should function together, love one another, serve God, worship God. So let's summarize this then. Should we just view Sunday as our time of worship? Yeah. True worship is done daily through obedience and through service. Is it important that a person worship God? Well, how important is the method? It's important. You got to worship in spirit and in truth. The time when a person worships, is that important? Well, in a sense, yes, because it should be continuous. But then we should also be meeting on a regular basis. Did I re read Hebrews 10? Who knows? It, the place of worship really isn't important. It's the people. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been able to look briefly into your word and what it teaches about worship. I ask that you help all of us to worship you daily, continually. I pray that you help us realize that some modes of worship can be wrong, improper. I pray that you help us to realize that worship is, in, is not just feelings or going through rituals or rites, but is in fact love towards you, love towards one another, service towards you and to each other, obedience to your word and your commands. Father, I pray that you'll change our hearts and our minds and that we will be a church that truly worships you in spirit and in truth.